Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Hip Health is Power podcast with your host, Anna Esperham. I wanted to talk about what most women deal with. About 45 to 95% of women deal with menstrual cramps or the fancy medical term dysmenorrhea. And symptoms can include the low pelvic discomfort and the spasms. It can radiate to the back where you'll have low back pain, sometimes achy and throbbing. And then that pain can also radiate to the legs, down the thighs, knees, legs, and feet. And it also can be associated with insomnia or difficulty sleeping. It can cause fatigue, exhaustion, and it can also cause nausea and vomiting. People can feel bloated, have a lot of pelvic or abdominal bloating, and can have diarrhea or even constipation and have headaches or migraines surrounding their menstrual period. And so the risk factors for developing worse menstrual cramps are usually having an earlier age when the menstrual period starts. So typically, you know, an average age is around 12 years of age. And so if uh, women start earlier, there is potential risk for worsening menstrual cramps there. Smoking can also worsen menstrual cramps, um, longer and heavier menstrual periods or blood flow during that time, higher body mass index, so being overweight or obese, and then alcohol consumption and a family history of having severe menstrual cramps as well. Uh, age can also be a factor, a risk factor, and then nulliparity, meaning not being um, pregnant. So menstrual cramps can be related just to the menstrual cycle alone. There can be endometriosis or invasion of that tissue lining outside of the uterus. And so usually a physician or a provider would want to make sure that that's not the case. And then also want to make sure there's no other causes of pelvic pain, like for example, sexually transmitted disease or other potential causes. And so the physiology of menstrual cramps is really when your body is getting ready for your menstrual period, these inflammatory substances are released called prostaglandins, which cause those blood vessels in the uterus and surrounding there to constrict and tighten up. It decreases the oxygen to the uterus tissue. And then other substances are released causing contractions and inflammation and spasms, that squeezing type pain. And then the nerves surrounding that tissue do become more sensitive to the pain over time, especially if you're having recurrent menstrual cramps, and that eventually can lead to amplified pain or what is known as a central sensitization syndrome. And we kind of touched based on that a little bit in the pelvic pain series. But the central sensitization syndrome or amplified pain is when those pain pathways really get revved up. So you are more prone to having pain during the menstrual period. The first line treatment is NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And usually a provider will start this one to three days prior to the menstrual period. And usually it's naproxen twice daily because naproxen last 12 hours instead of ibuprofen, which lasts four to six. So it just lasts a little bit longer. But unfortunately, what's interesting is that based on a huge systematic review called Cochrane Review, it, which is our kind of governing evidence base in the research world, there actually is not enough evidence to truly recommend NSAIDs as standard of care. So then when it comes to conventional medicine, there's a second line, which is contraceptives or birth control pills that actually suppress ovulation and suppress sort of the typical menstrual period. 
and that reduces some of that inflammation and inflammatory substance production, but that's also been shown not to be effective per this big, you know, Cochrane review. So in order to truly help menstrual cramps in the long run, taking a well-rounded approach, an integrative and holistic approach is really number one, diet and nutritional changes more towards an anti-inflammatory diet. And then number two is reducing environmental exposures to toxins that alter hormones, including makeup and pesticides and cleaning chemicals, for example. And then number three, there's been some supplements with potential benefit, including ginger, valerian, fish oil, thiamine, and zinc. And we'll get into more of the supplements as we get through this podcast. And then number four are essential oils or aromatherapy with mostly rose oil, lavender, clary sage, peppermint, and rosemary being studied for dysmenorrhea or menstrual cramps. So let's delve deeper into the diet and making some small but powerful changes toward healing from menstrual cramps because nutrition and diet do modulate inflammation and the immune system, including regulating several inflammatory substances in the body, such as the C-reactive protein, cytokines, white blood cells, and even platelets. And that has been studied. So increasing green veggies and fruit have reduced the risk of endometriosis endometriosis in addition to reducing processed meats have helped reduce the risk of endometriosis so 75% of women so it was 156 out of 207 patients that were studied with endometriosis went on a gluten-free diet for 12 months and these women did report improvements in the pelvic pain and quality of life when they were on the gluten-free gluten-free diet Another diet factor is that omega-3s do reduce menstrual cramps after three months and also reduce the inflammatory substance known as prostaglandin, known to cause that menstrual pain, those menstrual cramps. And then ginger, in doses of 750 to 2,000 milligrams for the first few days of menses, reduces pain by up to 85% compared to placebo pills. And this can be found usually in tea or capsules or even whole food ginger if you like to make brewed chai tea. Ginger, though, shouldn't be given in combination with anticoagulants or any other blood thinners, um, or even with a calcium channel blocker known as nifedipine. The side effects of ginger can include belching, sore throat, heartburn, diarrhea, maybe even reflux, increased menstrual bleeding, or bleeding in general due to the anti-inflammatory pathways it works on, very similar to what NSAIDs work on. And valerian, valerian actually was a um, tea that my father made for me every time I had menstrual cramps when I was younger. So it's interesting that this actually has been studied for women with menstrual cramps. And valerian is a botanical, and when given in doses of 255 milligrams up to two to three times daily for two to three menstrual cycles, have an antispasmodic and sedative effect, reducing the duration of severe pain during the menstrual period. But it does smell a bit like uh, dirty socks or something or other, so you kind of have to get used to it. And it shouldn't be given with other central nervous system depressants that can potentially worsen drowsiness. Some people use it to help them fall asleep. You do have to worry about using this with any other hepatotoxic medicines or supplements because there might be potential that it may cause this. Side effects can also include headache, gut discomfort, stomach discomfort, drowsiness, as we said. It may cause vivid dreams. It might cause urinary retention, and some people might have a paradoxical effect of anxiety or excitation. 
just like with Benadryl, for example, any of those sedating supplements or sedating medicines have always usually sometimes a potential for that paradoxical effect of getting you um, agitated or anxious or excited or hyper. Thiamine is a vitamin B. It's known as vitamin B1. And B1 deficiency can manifest itself as decreased pain tolerance, muscle cramps, and fatigue. And so they did a research study, a double-blind placebo-controlled trial with 250 high school students, supplementing them with 100 milligrams a day of thiamine, fish oil, or both, and um, placebo. And they found that the thiamine decreased the intensity and duration of pain during menstrual cramps significantly in all groups compared to the placebo. So the uh, dose is usually 100 milligrams daily for at least three months. And you can also get this checked out by a provider to look for vitamin B1 deficiency, which is what we usually do in our practice. And a preparation usually comes in a capsule. You can get this also in an IV form. And the side effects usually are pretty well tolerated, but it potentially can cause dermatitis or an allergic reaction, like, again, most supplements or medicines. And then interactions, you don't want to take this if you're getting blood work, especially if you're looking at uric acid or bile acids or urobilinogen, because it can cause some false positive elevations. And then vitamin E has been well studied as well. It, um, in given 150 to 500 units for several days prior, during, and after menses. So some providers may recommend this. And usually it comes in a soft gel or a liquid, and most people take the soft gel. It is anti-inflammatory and is an anti uh, antioxidant, and it can increase beta endorphins, which is like your feel-good chemicals kind of in the opioid pathway, the pain pathway. And then it has in several double-blind randomized controlled trials, it did demonstrate a significant decrease in severity and duration of menstrual cramps with vitamin E compared to general placebo. The side effects are usually well tolerated. There is potential for stomach discomfort like nausea, diarrhea, intestinal cramps, fatigue, weakness, headaches, blurred vision, rash. You can have hormone dysfunction. You can have elevated creatinine in the urine, and then it might have an effect on platelet function. And then you just have to be cautious with chemotherapy and anticoagulants as well. So zinc also has been studied, and usually you can look at zinc in the serum level. So serum zinc is generally studied. And a, in a study of 86 women, 42 women with endometriosis and 44 healthy, they found that serum zinc levels in women with endometriosis were actually decreased. So if there is underlying endometriosis that's causing some of these menstrual cramps, that may be a consideration. And the dose is usually 15 milligrams to 100 milligrams daily for three to 12 months, just depending on the serum levels and the ability to absorb zinc. And it can come in capsules, liquid, and lozenges. You wanna avoid intranasal forms of zinc. And it the mechanism of action of zinc, it really has a <clears throat> like a genetic, well, epigenetic regulation of hormones. The side effects are really, can be severe nausea. So you wanna take it with food, it can cause vomiting. Some people cannot tolerate the higher doses, so they'll have to start really low at 15 milligrams and it can cause abdominal pain, diarrhea, metallic taste in the mouth, and then it can reduce the absorption of copper, so it might further cause copper deficiency if one is predisposed to it. 
So other interactions can also include other minerals such as iron. It can interact with beta carotene and then also certain antibiotics. You want to be careful taking it with like quinolones or tetracyclines. And then magnesium is another uh, mineral that has um, the ability to reduce those inflammatory substances and relax the muscle tissue. And in a Cochrane review in 2001, they found magnesium superior to placebo in treating menstrual cramps. So that is pretty interesting. The dose is usually 50 to 600 milligrams daily, and you want to titrate accordingly to avoid diarrhea. So once you start getting diarrhea or looser stools, it's usually when you've kind of maxed out and need to slow down on increasing the magnesium. You want to take it with enough water and food because it can cause stomach discomfort like loose stools, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, intestinal cramps. Usually the oxide form can cause more intestinal cramps than the other forms like gluconate, glycinate, or L3-innate. Uh, or even malate. It can also cause drowsiness and hypotension. Some people like to take it at night because it's more calming. It might cause confusion if you're taking too much of it. You can lose tendon reflex, muscle weakness, respiratory depression if you have magnesium toxicity in addition to causing cardiac arrhythmias, coma, cardiac arrest, and death. So cautious use with magnesium or even kidney disease because it is eliminated through the kidneys. The interactions, you want to be cautious with certain antibiotics and calcium channel blockers, as well as diuretics. And then um, the other uh, supplements are usually herbs, and usually these are Iranian herbs or Persian herbs. Saffron, which is native to Iran, has been used in the treatment of many menstrual disorders because it may improve blood circulation and has some antispasmodic properties. The celery seed is part of Ayurvedic medicine and may have potential in also reducing the menstrual cramp symptoms. And then fennel seeds also have a possible antispasmodic effect. And so I think when they did this randomized controlled trial in Isfahan, 198 women randomized to receiving saffron, celery seed, and fennel seeds, 500 milligrams, three times a day for three days at the start of menses, they did have significant reductions in pain compared with placebo. So that was a pretty interesting study. Vitamin B6 has, there. I haven't seen a randomized controlled trial with vitamin B6, but it may increase the influx of magnesium into the muscle cell and it may have some effect on pain as well. Vitamin D has been studied in a group of women and they have found that the vitamin D can actually reduce some of those inflammatory substances that we talked about. Other than supplements, we also have studied acupressure and acupuncture for menstrual cramps. And even though in a Cochrane database in 2016, it deemed the evidence that has been studied on acupuncture for menstrual cramps, it was low quality. A meta-analysis in 2015 showed acupressure did significantly reduce dysmenorrhea and then acupuncture improved quality of life for women dealing with menstrual cramps. And so even though usually acupuncture for menstrual cramps needs to be studied further, it is interesting to note that it potentially can help the pain and quality of life. Essential oils, as we talked about, there has been studies on rose oil, lavender, clary sage, and marjoram, and it did show there had been reduction of pain that was significant during menstrual cramps compared to uh, NSAIDs, for example, or a placebo. 
Massage and isometric exercises have reduced pain. So some providers will tell you exercise during, not just during your menstrual period, but throughout the whole cycle is important in reducing some of those inflammatory substances and getting blood flow to the uterus. And reflexology is interesting that it did reduce menstrual pain in one study back in Iran in 2002 and 2010. It's interesting, a lot of the dysmenorrhea studies have been done in Iran. And then manipulation, there have been some anecdotal reports and then four trials that it wasn't any more effective than sham manipulation, but that's difficult to prove with sham manipulation. So there are anecdotal cases of improvement with osteopathic manipulation or other manipulation for menstrual cramps. And then yoga, so movement therapies have also been shown to reduce the pain scores and menstrual distress significantly associated with um, the menstrual cramps. And then some women use the TENS units, and that has been shown to be effective for pain relief in a small number of trials, according to a Cochrane Database Systematic Review in 2002. And I'm sure that might be updated as well, especially with some of the new TENS units out specifically for menstrual cramps. And then looking at heat therapy, so most women who do have menstrual cramps automatically get their heating pad out, and that actually did show a potential for pain reduction, though the studies weren't uh, as well. And it was a little bit heterogeneic, so a meta-analysis was not possible, but there was a potential trend toward pain reduction, and we all know that when we use heat therapy, heat is so important in improving the blood flow and helping menstrual cramp pain, as we know anecdotally. And so that's it for most of the studies that I've reviewed in the literature. And if you guys want to give us a review on iTunes and share any comments or constructive feedback or anything you want to hear about more or have questions, you can find us at uh, Instagram, health is pow her. So health underscore is underscore pow her. And then you can email us at hello at health is And you can find the show notes at www.healthispowher.com. And we'll have all that info also in the details in the podcast too. So sayonara, take care guys. Mm -hmm.